Broadcasting live from Salem, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible women talk about horror. My name's Louisa, and I'm joined by my beloved coven, Mila, Taya, and Zeba. And this episode is our season one finale, so happy one year anniversary. But before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify and or subscribe to us on YouTube and the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. We will begin with the 1977 cult classic Suspiria, directed by Dario Argento. We will then move on to the 2018 remake of the same name, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Finally, we will conclude with the 2020 remake of The Craft, The Craft Legacy, directed by Zoe Lister-Jones. So you guys, it's our season finale. What have been some of your favorite moments or episodes or themes that we've covered so far in season one? Mila, maybe you should read what our Instagram followers said first. We had just some like general comments of the podcast. One of them said, this is hands down my favorite podcast. Thanks for making it. And then another one said, I just wanted to say, I love this podcast so much. I legit never shut up about it. Please never shut up. Word of mouth will make us. <laughs> Thank you. There was another one. You guys were the first podcast I've ever listened to. And I love you guys so much. Love from Brazil. Love back to Brazil. We love Brazil. I love Brazil. (laughs) There's one that messaged us directly. They really liked our take on teeth, how it wasn't an incredible um, feminist taking back the power film. Plus, thanks for making my quarantine with this podcast and giving me some weaponry against film bros. Have a great day. Oh my God, yes! If that's all we do, we've done enough. If this is the only contribution we make to the world, I'm happy with it. (laughs) And then we also had a lot of your mum. <laughs> my mum. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she just wrote pennies. <laughs> pennies. <laughs> pennies. You, wait, do you know how often she says that to me? She quotes it to me. She goes, pennies. <laughs> because we're friends. And then there was another one. The period blood conversation for your midsummer conversation. Strawberries. We just got strawberries a few times. <laughs> we got hierarchy of needs that is simply meat. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Well done, Dr. Zeba, for, for theorizing that. We had Tyre talking about the ending scene of midsummer. Who isn't inspired <laughs> by that passion? <laughs> Listening to y'all becoming super close friends. Aw. Hey, bestie. <laughs> hey besties hey besties Aww. and then we have well it has to be the strawberry lemonade that tastes like pennies that's also what we're gonna be known for our only yeah. contribution to the world we've warned people against love spells i think that's a service to humanity we also have the entire body horror episode the discussion of teeth and all the theories of surviving it follows i do like that episode that was good yeah yeah but if i do say so myself if I do say so myself, that is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. This is a circle jerk. <laughs> we also have unhinged Twilight combos. Yes, that is our delicacy. I want that to be our most of our brand. Your own favorite moment? I think my favorite moment's about to happen. <laughs> There's much to be said. Ooh. I love that. I think my favorite episode so far was either the body horror or the cold episode. I really enjoyed watching the movies for those, um, mainly because I got to watch Midsommar again. But I also liked all the ones we did for the body horror episode. I didn't hate any of the movies. I did hate the other lamb. Yeah, block that out. Every time I see it on Hulu, like the little icon for it, it ignites a fury in my soul. <laughs> like, where was the script? 
where was the plot? <laughs> I think my favorite moment, one of my favorite moments, was you accidentally thirsting over everyone in Scotland. That is that you, Mila. Or I really like the desktop horror episode. That one, incidentally, that's the episode in which you thirst over Scotland. And then I think zombies. I had so much fun um, learning about zombies because I did not know much about the genre. And it was just really funny to record. Well, you guys, we actually have a special Witch of the Week this week. And it's all of you who listen to our podcast and give us a reason to get together every few weeks and film an episode and watch movies. We are so grateful to you. And we never could have imagined that we would have hundreds or thousands of you listen to us have our chats it is sensational this started off as a group project and now we've all become really close friends and we've got to become friends with all of you and extend our coven and we're so grateful we love reading all of your comments seeing you laugh at our conversations it just lights up our day and we're super grateful and happy to extend the coven every single day love you all thank you Suspiria centers on a young woman named Susie who moves from America to join a dance academy in Berlin. After a series of strange disappearances and violent deaths at the academy, Susie begins to realize witchcraft is at play. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. Um, I just had a behind-the-scenes monstrous feminine fun fact for everybody about Suspiria, which is that the Suspiria soundtrack inspired our own introduction theme song, which is written by, written, recorded, played by Rude Bemelhams, who was in our class when we first started the podcast. Yeah, the transition music, too. I love this score. This is like, I know y'all had told Rude this is what we wanted. And I just was like, hmm, never heard of that film. And I accepted it until (laughs) literally last week. I just was not interested. I was like, I see what Rude did. I don't need to know. I love this score. I'm obsessed with it. Like it was my, like one of my favorite things about this movie. It was truly so unsettling. I think the goblins were really (laughs) the right choice. Why? Why is there like heavy breathing in the background? Just like screaming in the background and it's not the characters. I love it. That's how my brain sounds. I read that the director played this on set. Like he had them, he collaborated with the goblins to write it um, and then played it on set just to like unsettle every actress so that they would get more more in the role. And I was like, excellent. Like imagine acting with this. And we were talking about um, when we did Hush, and I was like, I think sound is like my, one of my biggest horror like associations. Like if I'm scared, I plug my ears. This was really like evocative of that, but I was like into yeah. it. I really like, I, I, I watched it with headphones too. And it was really like immersive mm. and a good time. It was a good ride. I watched this on my TV in my living room with all the lights off. And I didn't realize how much, like, the colors in the movie yeah, really make it creepy. But, like, the way that, like, the red and the green would, like, reflect on the wall was so creepy and unsettling. I think that this movie is great for, like, the time period. They did a good job of making it scary and creepy. And also, everybody shows up everywhere in a fucking fit. Like, yep. the, the wardrobe? Yep. What? <laughs> I was like... Susie hopped out of the freaking airport and I was like, girl, the fit. <laughs> Who 
doing this? <laughs> even when she she showed up to the conservatory, and I'm like, even the teachers have on outfits yeah. like this. Chef's the girls kiss. Can dress. The remake really did not do good with wardrobe. In comparison, I was just not impressed. But this wardrobe was excellent. That's why I love any. We've done so many movies from the seventies. I'm realizing, and I love each and every single one of them. Like I feel like I'm just like distracted by the aesthetics. Like I can't focus. Yeah, I had like a fun experience watching this for the first time. Um, because this is one of the ones I knew we'd probably do eventually. So I held off on watching it, and then I watched it in the bath with a glass of red wine, and Ooh. then I dropped my red wine into the tub. <laughs> And it like it like dyed it slightly like it when it was cons it was like a little cloud in the tub, so it was like a pretty purple color. And then it expanded and turned my whole bathtub grey and like dark grey. Like it looked fucking like corpse water. And I was like, huh, I think I just cast a spell. Yeah. <laughs> How long did you stay in the bath, girl? You were a pro. Oh no 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 no. I like I like stood up and just like watched what happened, like really disappointed. <laughs> And, and then I like drained it and had to refill it because it was like in the middle of my bath and I was like, uh-uh, I'm not done. That was a nice thought though. You really set the mood. I did. I was like, and it just was funny because it's a film about witchcraft. So I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> what I do? I felt like it would go from like giant imposing walls of sound to mm-hmm. silence. And then when they were yeah. speaking, I'd have to turn it all the way up, be like, what is it? And then the noise <laughs> would come again. I'd be like, Jesus Christ. Um, so, like, I felt like I was always turning up and down the sound, which is probably not the correct way to watch this film. I wish I'd seen it in the cinema where you can't escape because then you get, like, the full, like, disorientation of the sound design. The silence, you're right, is, like, like they really they really will pin drop silence right after, like, you're really bombarded. Thundering Witches! Sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. Witches! They would say that in parts of the school. They'd be like, witches! Oh, witches. no! I love it because it's not like it leaves nothing to the imagination. It's like this is about witches. If you're wondering what this is, <laughs> it's witches. <laughs> like, I love that. But did anyone else realize that it was dubbing? Because I'm a fucking yeah. idiot and I did not. <laughs> no, I I knew it was dubbed. I could tell it was dubbed. Their mouths were moving weird, and I was like, I in my head I was like, oh, it must have been in Italian originally. And you know me, I just don't do no research. I didn't Google. I didn't follow up. But I did notice it was dubbed in some way. <laughs> I think it like made me feel a bit disconnected from it because I was like I can't connect to these characters and I was like I don't know why and then I realized it was dubbed and I was like I'm so dumb like it was I was and I think that was a big part of my initial alienation before I like got into it that and the fact that my bath water was gray for a little bit I think with other dubbed films that is certainly the case where the voice is disconnected and so you're it feels like you're not you can't quite immerse into it but with this film it kind of works because then you like get like an extension of that weird sort of like strange disorientating feeling alex arabian for film inquiry said in a sense creating a barrier of language layers um layers the intensifying feelings of hopelessness through Susie's perspective and even Harper admitted that it assisted in adding depth to her character's confusion. And he's talking here in reference to the fact that the characters on set spoke different languages, mostly like Italian and German. But they weren't even when they're like saying the words from the script, they weren't even necessarily like speaking the same language. So all of the sort of confusion, the actors have this sort of confusion. I think as viewers, we have that kind of disorientation. I think it's very clever. In comparison to the new one, there are a few things that I did notice off the bat when I was watching this. And 
I've seen Suspiria before, but I think like when I watched the Luca Guadagnino one, I just wasn't really thinking about the original because honestly, I don't think they're similar enough to really be called a remake. Um, but this one I felt like was less explicitly feminine versus Luca Guadagnino's has a lot of like blurred lines that I think shows like the villain in a different way or like the the three mothers um and this one like even when she goes to school and they're talking about the girl who was murdered there they immediately start saying like oh a guy came into her apartment and killed her and the monster like looks more I guess what you would think like a male monster like very hairy and like bulging arms that we see like getting her at the beginning and in the Guadagnino version it's like that first death is just you don't see what's doing it and I feel like in a way the way that we think about like the way that men and women can be scary in different ways is like men are scary because they're scary and (laughs) they're big and they're bulky and you just feel immediate fear versus like I think women can be scary in a way that's a lot more like thought out and methodical in ways that you don't see and I think the way that like Guadagnino's film felt more explicitly feminine to me is because you don't see who's killing Olga in that scene when her bones are breaking and she's urinating on herself versus in this one it was like stabbing and it felt more male oriented and there were more male characters in this one I didn't see any male dancers at in the school in the Guadagnino version also the guy character who like comes to her apartment whose name I don't know if they said he had the disposition of Timothy Chalamet which I thought was so funny the way he was talking I was like this boy has the disposition of like Timothy Chalamet and I can see like Luca Guadagnino being super inspired by this movie and it having an impact and then and then him being drawn to like collaborate with a lot of people who embodied the dispositions of the character. Excuse me, Ty, are you talking about that that young boy dressed as Lord Farquaad? <laughs> no, the one who no. bought her suitcases to her apartment oh, she in. I thought you were talking about the child. And I was like, I was like, that baby does remind me of Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ty is commenting on like big twink energy. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Don't describe it that way. I don't want the Chalamet stands dragging me. I'll take it. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really think about that, but I think that's a really interesting point that uh, I guess, I mean, this is a slasher and I feel like slashers, especially from the 70s, like we saw with the 1974 Black Christmas, um, they have a very like, the murders are very like about like physicality, I think. And like, there's always like a sort of penetrative element to it as well. And we definitely see that with this film. Yeah, just like the presence of men at all. Like the... the <laughs> Sorry. Pianist. <laughs> so I don't know why that made me laugh. The penis. The pianist. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, like the presence of male dancers at all. The only men in the remake are like cops. Um, but but I, think, I think the omission of that character, the, the, of the accompanist or whatever you would call him, it was mm-hmm. very noticeable to me because that was like one of the most jarring scenes from the original is when that dog turns on him. Like I have never felt such betrayal. I love 70s gore, which is one of the things I love about Stranger Things because I know that's not what we're talking about, but <laughs> like, you know, like how it really harnessed like that sort of alien style of gore. I just, I love the way they used to do it. I think mm-hmm. there's too much CGI nowadays and I love yeah, like yeah. a good old fashioned, like freaking ketchup. visceral. 
I was gonna say it is quite it it is quite visceral and there are moments of that like out and out penetrative gore but I also this reminded me of Rosemary's Baby so 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 much in just like the tone of the conspiracy and this like underlying who's in on it Mm. the paranoia who's in on it who's not in on it and I was like oh lovely I can watch this and have no guilt of watching like a Roman Polanski film it was like giving me all the satisfaction (laughs) of a Rosemary's Baby though I had a another film that it reminded me of, and I wanted to run this by y'all to see if you guys felt the same. It reminded me of uh, Midsummer. I'll explain my thought process though. Um, so apparently, the original we, you mentioned, like the well, we've all talked about the color, the sort of velvet use of like reflecting light, the red to be foreboding, the use of like bright neon, and how that was originally inspired by the Technicolor, the street, the three strip Technicolor process, which was used to make Snow White in 1937. And Argento asked the cinematographer to copy, well, not copy, but like get, go rewatch the Snow White version <laughs> and get his inspiration <laughs> to make this film. It very much does remind me of a fairy tale. I think with that context, mm-hmm. if you know that she's meant to be a sort of Snow White character running through the woods, encountering the sort of evil witch at the end i think yeah it does remind me of midsummer as well which is like that sort of fairy tale made horror that vibrant use of color the fact that they gaslight and drug the new recruit Mm -hmm. um and then her smile at the end taya this is specifically for you obviously i am biased but i like it i did get the fairy tale vibe when i was uh watching it though because like i don't know the green reminded me of the green from maleficent like that same eerie green. So I did get the fairy tale vibe. Out of all of the horror movies that we've watched, some of the characters I just didn't really care about. But I actually really liked Susie and I kind of related to her, like moving to a new place. Fun fact when I actually moved to London, it was like horrible. <laughs> yeah, and it was like storming. My accommodation was messed up. And I had this cab driver who was attempting to help me. He was like, You want to go to a hotel? I was like, No. Horrible dorm, but yeah, I I definitely got her like a rival story. Although I spoke speak English, so it wasn't quite the same. I literally thought about that story when she was in the rain with her taxi. I was like, Ty, I had this moment. <laughs> I found her like also like sympathetic in a way. I feel like her character was well done, which I think is shocking because I feel like a lot of male writers really don't write female characters real. But I didn't find any real obvious errors in her character of like or any real stereotypical male gazy stuff. I honestly felt like it did a good job with that. Like in the locker room scene when they're all getting dressed and they're putting on their tights and their shoes, there was no weird booty angles or anything like that, which I really appreciated. I didn't even realize that. And I was like, yeah, I really appreciate it. This is not super male gazy for Mm -hmm. this to be a horror film, like written by a guy, produced by a guy. It was pretty well done in regards to that. And Susie also was pretty well-rounded. Like, her character didn't do anything that I felt like was explicitly irrational that I feel like I see in or- other horror movies, which is why I think this was almost so enjoyable, because it wasn't like we're counting on the character to be ridiculously stupid and do things that were like, why would you do that? Right. It was like, we would also do these things in the situation, which made it even more insidious and creepy. And I don't know, I really enjoyed it because of that. Especially with witch stories, it's so easy to slip into that, like, hysteria thing or, like, the, mm-hmm. like, even even making 
something like a group of women seem like a threat is is a weird thing that you could run into and i like that she is our protagonist and that by the end like i would say that there were a lot of loose ends that weren't tied but she really just like burns the bitch down and walks away and that's very cathartic <laughs> to, 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 because because you know we're rooting for her and that's and that's good and it's sort of it tie, i didn't need the the plot holes necessarily tied up because she doesn't get the answers and then i think the remake attempts to fill those plot holes but yeah um yeah i i did i it felt yeah you're right very authentic even like i had one note that was like the real horror is girl on girl hate because like her relationship with like her relationship with the other dancers and like relationship with other roommates i don't know if like y'all have ever like been a dancer or, like done dance classes this is my like great secret is that i was a dance minor for a little bit oh Ooh. I want those videos. <laughs> if you're watching something like Black Swan, it's very easy to get into that women just hate each other and it's like this irrational anger and it's competition and it's whatever. And like the relationships between the women and the dancers, especially because they're living together, I was waiting for that Black Swan moment and it didn't come. Like there was this natural tension that I think women do have with each other, but it wasn't like tied then to like the larger horror or like saying that this is evil it's just like how how gals are it's like uh it's like that jennifer's body moment where like you can have a catty competitive relationship but it can be realistic as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. but also because i'm thinking of olga and so susie at the beginning but you don't have to necessarily that you can make that just like you can tell the reality of like women's experiences or teenage girls are they teenagers they're like young women young women's experiences with each other yeah without necessarily making it the entire movie and saying like women can't have bonds that are outside of this too or both my favorite backdrop for like psychological horror or body horror is dance specifically ballet (laughs) dance Leave me alone, you transatlantic traitor. (laughs) (laughs) It's more so in the remake, they explore dance and movement a lot more. The use of body horror in the abject is just so perfect. It also ties into like our conversations about sex, pain, horror. Dance completely like traverses all of those things. But that scene where she exhausts herself, like she's spinning till she exhausts herself or like dancing till she exhausts herself in the first movie was like that first indicator of that because like nothing horrific was happening, but it's like yeah, that is the the, the horror of like the discipline of dance. And two, and three, and four. And one, and two, and three, and four. And one, and two, and three, and four. If you did ballet, Zeba, then you'll know the realities of evil fucking ballet teachers. Yeah. They are, why are they all so mean? <laughs> As a kid, I had a, I had a ballet teacher who used to hit our knees with a cane to like make sure we were like turned out. Yeah. So I, I kind of vibe with witchcraft and ballet because it is scary. <laughs> I do think it is interesting, though, that I feel like a lot of links between like a sport and horror is used as dance because I feel like there are other sports that are like significantly more competitive that would also work for. And I also feel like their male-oriented sports are very competitive and... <laughs> It would be interesting to see a horror movie that wasn't, like, trying to use the trope of, like, 
women competing for this one number one spot, which this movie didn't do, like Zabel was saying, and I really appreciated that. But I do feel like they overused that. Like, I really enjoyed Whiplash, which I don't really know if it would fit into horror, but I think it was like kind of... (laughs) psychological because I really enjoy like the madness from perfection storyline and I think it would be really cool if they did that with other sports give me a soccer horror movie where someone goes crazy trying to be this number one strike on the team (laughs) imagine a movie where um a a whole football team gets brain damage from like American football because they literally do and then they go on murdering sprees that's real life that happened last week actually right yeah yeah (laughs) We're we're giving some random like film bro who's listening to this in his room as like a cathartic way to yell at women. Right. <laughs> he yells at us, talking, he's like, "Wait, write that down, write that down." I'm taking this time to tell my brother, please take the young child out of the pee wee football. Children should not be playing full contact football. He's yeah. so small; yeah. it worries me. Oh, little one. My aunt wouldn't let my younger cousin play football, and he really wanted to, and she's like, "Nope." No, you can't. I really don't want you to be out here with a concussion and being violent. To be fair, he turned to video games and he's like kind of an incel in training. So I don't really know if it was Uh better. (laughs) I mean, at least he doesn't have a concussion. I have a separate point. But earlier, Zeba, you mentioned like the, the breathing and the breaths and the music and the atmosphere in general. And I thought that, um... It's, it's like a nice little nod to the um, Thomas de Quincey psychological essays in 1845, which were, was titled Suspiria de Profundis, which was just about like a bunch of like drug-induced erotic fantasies and visions that he had. In one of the entries, it's called Livana and Our Ladies of Sorrow, and this is where de Quincey imagines a trinity of sisters who embody various like parts of the human experience and one is our lady of tears our lady of sighs and our lady of darkness and suspiria de profundis i think means sighs from the depths a latin phrase so i liked that um this whole film is a little bit like of an homage to that it's like a snow white spin i guess on like what would be like a fever dream that thomas de quincey's describing and they can they like keep this uh the sighing thing throughout you saying he wrote this while like on drugs is reminding me I just watched the movie Another Round. Great, by the way, recently. And there was like this whole collage of uh, like politicians and men in power, like uh, being drunk and doing power stunts. And I'm interested in when we'll explore that space. I think the movie sets a good tone of like how it's cool for men to like do drugs or be drunk in a public place and write something and it's like viewed as artistic or cool or being hip and women don't really get that same thing that it's like called sloppy or like unprofessional so I think that'll be an interesting thing to explore although I do think that is interesting in regards to this movie god take a shot every time I say interesting This movie is the Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. <laughs> Actually, all three movies that we cover today are all of those. We can tag them. Progressively worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What does women empower mean when it's empowering? And what does it mean when it's not empowering? When it's capitalism. Yeah, oh my god. On a positive note, I'm going to say this movie did what I think some of the other movies that we're going to be discussing today thought they did. We've been praising this movie, but I think we should 
like I had read a lot of good things about it, but like only very vague things. Like Suspiria is regarded as one of the best horror films of all time. So I went into it kind of expecting like really great characterization and plot. Mm. And I think that was the wrong lens initially. I actually went back and then rewatched it. And I was like, no, no, no. You have to watch this movie for vibes. You know, (laughs) like this is very much a style. I don't want to say style over substance because I don't think it's that, but I think it's style as substance. And if right. you're going into it expecting like something more plot heavy or character heavy, then you're you're not gonna you're gonna be expecting something that never comes. But if you go into it like thinking like how emotive the lighting is and how great the shots are, then you'll have a really good time. So that's my little warning to like people who maybe aren't film hoes. <laughs> I agree. This is movie that is definitely made by the mise-en-scene in the in the film the script is great i will say but obviously like we are watching a dub version so i don't know how different the italian dialogue is from the dubbed version but like just the backdrops for each scene just really set the mood also olga's apartment if, if i could stay there for 50 dollars a week i would pay 50 dollars <laughs> a week i haven't had an airbnb that nice for 50 dollars a week yeah. but everything <laughs> was so pretty i was convinced like by the backdrop that this was I don't know it kind of almost felt like a bit of like a paradise lost sort of thing because it was just so beautiful everything the school was gorgeous there were no eerie vibes just from looking at the 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 house or the apartment or the wardrobe or the way the people looked everyone looked very put together I think that's where the Guadagnino version misses the mark for me because everything looks so explicitly eerie going into it that you kind of question why would she even want to do it it the school didn't convince me that it was this world-renowned school that had ample money to be given out scholarships to people across the world. It did not convince me of that. Dakota Johnson's hair looked great, but no one had great costuming. The building looked kind of run down. I also don't think the remake is a great reflection of what Berlin looks like. It is a gray city, don't get me wrong, but it is still very pretty and the architecture is still very nice. I think the the newer version just didn't do as much justice, but this version, I think, added color and scenery that made it more believable like if I went into the situation I would be sold and be like oh yeah this is totally a great school this apartment is nice I want to live with this girl rather than living in the dorm but yeah the other one didn't really sell those points in a way that was as convincing yeah I feel like for the remake all of the appeal of the school was focused on Blanc's character like her Mm -hmm. being this mysterious like exceptional dancer or choreographer or instructor whatever she was doing because everyone felt really compelled towards her and winning her approval but I didn't yet totally didn't think about the change in visuals like obviously they left behind a lot of the bright colors and the stylized sets but I don't think I missed it because I I, like you said Ty it's not so much a remake as it is like a sort of reimagining and that's where I think this is the way to make a remake because both are distinct enough that they're sort of separate films and each good enough that they stand on their own but they share the same bones where they massively differ is like the argento version is like color style mise-en-scene and then the guadagnino version is like script performance mystery (laughs) and (laughs) so i think they went into it with different performances yeah and uh i think also well, Luca Guadagnino is like very famous for not auditioning his actors. He just meets with them like informally for like coffee or something. 
and that's how he chooses people for his roles i don't know if he still is doing this because i know he recently did a show from hbo called we are who we are really good by the way if anyone hasn't seen it and there's a lot of new actors in the film so i'm not sure if he hand chose them or if there was an auditioning process for that but for his movies he does not audition people so i think you can tell in his version he specifically had people in mind to play roles and that reflects the way that this character came across um, definitely like the use of Tilda Swinton because she is an acting force is very noticeable that he wanted Tilda Swinton for that role and the other role that she played in the movie and Dakota Johnson, the use of her in the movie, all of it was like, you could tell he had specific people in mind and that's why their characters were the way they were versus I think Dario engines are just kind of audition people and they just played a role. <laughs> they did it well. <laughs> But it wasn't like the character was changed because of who was playing it. Yeah. A way to enjoy original Suspiria is to also look at it with a bit of a camp eye as well. Because I think yeah. the acting is sometimes OTT, but it's just fun. I think those moments were enjoyable for me because I just look at it as like 70s gore and it's like a lot of fun. So maybe not as precise as the remake, like you're saying, but kind of more fun. <laughs> yeah. I felt like Olga in this one kind of reminded me of Nancy in the craft. Like with her like dark eyeliner yeah. and dark hair. Oh my gosh, and... they look, I thought that. They look alike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they look alike. I, I don't know. I feel like I liked the actors more in this one. Although you guys know I'm a diehard Dakota Johnson stan. I was going to say. She's wonderful. Her farmer's market outfit is everything. <laughs> But despite that, and I do think she is great as Susie, I think I just prefer this version. I think the Guadagnino version is like a bit long and at some points like it's just not really for me. We'll get to it. I was just going to ask you guys about the portrayal of witches in this movie because I think with a lot of like witch films, at least the ones that I have seen in modern horrors, we're always like super sympathetic towards the witch. But this is like traditional oogie spooky witches are bad <laughs> like type of thing i think zava said that in one episode oogie boogie oogie boogie spooky it's actually become a word that we all i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> oogie boogie. It, it hits the vibe and i really like it so yeah i think they become like this scary thing and i i wanted to ask about because i know you said zava earlier that his it's not necessarily linked to um hysteria as in magic and I don't think, like, they in their portrayal of how they depict the witches, you're right in that. But I do think with the conversation um, that Susie has with a psychiatrist, it is kind of um, very much linked to mental illness, or at least someone does. So basically, one psychiatrist says um, that he doesn't believe that bad luck is brought by broken mirrors, but by broken minds. And then he refers her to the book Paranoia or Magic. And then she speaks to a second psychiatrist or doctor person at this external organization that she visits. And he says that witches are kind of always negative and destructive. They can change the course of events, but only to do harm. Their goal is to accumulate great personal wealth, but this can only be achieved by injury to others. They can cause suffering and sickness and even the death of those who have offended them. And yeah. So what did you guys think about witches in this manner? What I did think was interesting, like the way that you were saying that witches are portrayed negatively here and as the villain, in addition to that, I think it's interesting that they choose chose fire as like the means of destruction because it's always burned the witch at the stake as historically has happened. Um, 
And so I do think the negativeness around it was interesting as a choice because I think in the Guadagnino version, that's a bit different, but we'll go into that in a second. Also, like the way that they were able to control things kind of reminded me of WandaVision in a bit, but that's like a more positive betrayal because I think that is more of like what happens when your power itself is chaos and your own grief can make things happen. I think there's more to be explored with the way that the witches behaved in this movie and it kind of is simplified in a way. I I made note that anytime somebody was saying magic wasn't real or that witches were bad, it came from a man. Um, so I so that's that's just how I was interpreting it is like who is it coming from and this like paranoia or magic point is like more an issue of like you just don't believe in magic but like the lore of this film is that magic is real so it doesn't matter like that this man believes it it to be mental illness or not like it's manifesting in the real world so it it, it didn't matter and the in the remake it, I think you know there's much to be said um, but in in this instance I think. I think it's interesting that you said, like, most portrayals of witches in, like, modern horror is that, like, we're rooting for them. I don't think that that is true either. And I I think that, like, to me, a witch in most lore is just a powerful woman. The fact that what are they, whether they do harm or don't do harm, and in the remake they sort of play with that, of, like, you know, where how they wield their power. Um, the only reason that they're the villain in this is because Susie is our protagonist, you know? <laughs> I think that was going to be my second question. Whereas, do you think like having the psychiatrist say it's connected to mental illness was actually just like a nod to how people have previously yeah. treated magic and not necessarily what they think? So, yeah. And then I guess I'm thinking like positive portrayals in the sense of like, like the craft original okay. or like chilling adventures of Sabrina. Like, I think witchcraft is like mm-hmm. a cool thing sometimes as well. I know it's obviously a negative route to it. Um, or has a negative root to it in lots of lore. Or not negative, but I think it's fear-based. I think people are very afraid yeah, fear of Yeah, fear-based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I'm not denying. I guess I just meant, like, interesting that, that we have, like, a kind of traditionally fear-based, like you said, perspective of them here. What I think has changed a lot from witch lore to, like, witches in film is so much of it in lore is, like, be careful because your kids are going to go in the forest and get eaten by mm. a witch. Mm-hmm. And then... In a film, it's turned into like men should be fearful of witches because they can control your mind and cast a spell and make you fall in love with them or make your life hell or mess with your mind. I think that's so much more of what it turned into film. And it almost makes me want to explore this from like a, uh, a, a lens of like maybe in youth, the way it is in lore is like because society grooms men to be fearful of powerful women and. Uh, like the devour you is seen as like um, oh they're this temptress that is gonna ruin your life or castrate you and even in Hansel and Gretel it's Hansel who's the one who's tempted by the witch who's like eating everything and Gretel is skeptical and doesn't really feed into it and I think that has also went the same way in film where like the men in the school are completely all the men in the movie are completely unaware that the magic is taking place, yeah. but all the women are. And it's like this disconnect makes it seem almost like 
men can be so controlled by these powers of women who are so powerful and they never even know versus all the women know it's some massive conspiracy conspiracy to control men are and I think that is a point <laughs> that is all too common in this even in the craft even in the craft remake it's always like we have to do some spell on a man and I'm like why is that there I don't think that's the first thing anyone is gonna do if they have powers is control a man did y'all read the witches like Royal Doll the witches mm-hmm. no I didn't okay so that was my favorite Royal Doll book because it was scary and I liked scary books but like I, I think the lesson is supposed to be don't talk to strangers like you never know what you know whatever but like in this is women don't talk to don't talk to like big scary powerful women and that is like the lesson that you learn by the end of it is like these people are not to be trusted yesterday i was asking did royal doll get canceled yet because like i just like mm, it's one of those people it's been it's been the time and my friend looked it up like oh yeah he was mad anti-semitic and so i was like mm, adds up because if you look at the illustrations, if you mm-hmm. look at the original movie, they made a remake with Anne Hathaway now, um, which is, they, whatever. But the original is like, oh, there's something off yeah. about this. There's something off about this. And I was so, <laughs> so, I, I was so un- worried and unsettled by the remakes like Holocaust connections. I was like, oh, fuck. Because like, like, witches, the witches and like, fear women but also like with like hysteria and the anti-semitism is in a lot of other stories as well so like that is where I was like constantly watching both of these with caution um and like you should go back and don't actually watch the original witches movie and don't read the book it's for children um but like it's (laughs) I mean, you can't. I do lots of things for children. <laughs> I watched and read both of those so much as a child, and I know exactly what you mean by the pictures and the imagery. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And, like, beyond that, it's not a don't talk to strangers story. It's a don't talk to women story. Um, <laughs> so I I think even when we don't intend to, because The Witches has been remade so many times, even when we don't intend to, sometimes there's, like, any correlation with, like, an or like an organized group of people with a conspiracy (laughs) is always like it like runs the risk of going wrong by accident even like it's just because we have these subconscious things that we like even in our like childhood stories like you're saying like the Hansel and Gretel thing I think it's like even when something bad isn't happening on screen you're like this reminds me of when they did that bad you know another way that it reminds me of Rosemary's Baby is that like skepticism versus the occult mini Mm -hmm. narrative we get with the psychiatrist, and then the second man that she talks to, is he also a psychiatrist? A He's scholar? like a scholar of the occult or something. He's less skeptical. The first one was like, yeah, I treated Susie for paranoia. She thought yeah. there was witches. You should speak to this guy because he's more interested in that. Yeah, yeah. He seemed to be on board with the presence of magic and But he witches. thinks it's negative. Yeah, he, he like completely disregards it as something evil that women use to enact harm on the world around them. Obviously, when we talked about Rosemary's Baby... Um, like in the States, there was that rising discourse around like the occult and religion. And I don't know what was going on in Italy at this time, but I know like witchcraft has a long history in Italy and it's still like relatively prevalent, especially in the South, but it's always been really tied to Catholicism Mm. and evil. Like actually most of it is really just about evil. So I don't know what, like, what did Daria want to say here? That's the thing is like, I don't think anything was being said. (laughs) 
just like no commentary. Just no vibes. commentary. <laughs> I think it might just be vibe. Right. And then the project of the remake was trying to like was trying to apply meaning. That's why the remake almost gives me like possession vibes. It's just like there's there's a thing going on and there's another whoa. thing going on. No, no, no. But like that's like an insult now. Like, whoa, come on. He's... I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a larger political thing going on and I'm keeping that in my head and then there's like what's happening in front of me and no, I'm keeping right. that in my yeah. head. And because they do have to like somewhat reference the original occasionally those connections get loose you know um maybe maybe the project of it is to fill the plot holes of the original you are right the original had like uh, like where the original didn't really have much plot <laughs> uh the second one had plot on plot on plot on plot yeah <laughs> I f- but i feel like that's what made the second one well, it's not really a second one. I feel like that's what made Guadagnino's a bit exhausting to watch. Because to be honest, I wanted to be confused. I don't feel like... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Where was this energy for possession? Yeah, we, we're <laughs> always like, ugh. Magic is something that I feel like not a lot of people understand. Yeah. I, I feel like it was it, it was more interesting to be confused and not have everything handed to me on this really weird wordy platter of like here's the 17 paragraphs about why this happened. And I was like, I am overwhelmed. And this movie is so long. Suspiria the original, yes, I will I will acknowledge that I think you have to enjoy it almost with a pretentious eye of like, I'm here for the style. However, it gets my pretentious art film pass for me. Like, yes, it's on the BFI website. Yes, I still like it. I, I think that's okay. <laughs> anyway, should we move on to the next one? Because Ty's going to burst. In the dark 2018 remake of Suspiria, Susie moves from Ohio to 1977 Berlin to join a prestigious dance academy. After the disappearance of his patient, a dancer named Patricia, an external psychiatrist begins to suspect witchcraft may be involved. Meanwhile, Susie grows very close to her dance instructor, Blanc, who promises her a lead role in the performance. It gradually becomes apparent, however, that the academy matrons have far more sinister intentions for Susie and wish to use her body as a host for their aging cousin leader my very first note actually the title of my notes for this is suspiria 2 bigger and more sus (laughs) i will say that i quote that i am she line like every week when she says i am she like me and my sister will randomly do that to each other all the time i feel like this movie would have been better if it had some trim but i think like Luca Guadagnino said the original version was even longer. It's truly like 30 minutes too long. And only because the scenes themselves are mad long. I wouldn't have cut any of the scenes, but like some of the dance sequences, I'm like, you could have cut a whole two and a half minutes out of this easy. I actually really like the Suspiria remake. Like, I don't disagree with your critiques of it. I think it is far too long. And Zeba, the... Like, I literally got to where I had 40 minutes left, and I was exhausted. I was like, okay, I should have ended now. (laughs) Um, So I agree with that exact time marking of, like, 30 minutes too long. But I think I agree with, Mila, your point that you said earlier about how... I think I like it as a sort of reimagining of the original. Um, I think if he had tried to do the color thing, like in Suspiria 1977, we would have all been like, what the hell? You're doing it wrong. I don't think think some (laughs) things can be recreated i think that would just make it kind of cheap i don't know um Mm -hmm. so i'm kind of glad that they didn't do that 
I read a really interesting interview with Luca Guadagnino um, by Ariston Anderson, and he said that the browns and blacks and blues and greens and are all muted and juxtaposed so that we could, in a way, encompass this idea of a German autumn. And that's why the colors are not primary. They do not pop at you. I hope they infiltrate you and they go deep into you. I was like, okay, first of all. No, that's not. It's, it's, first of all, it didn't give what was supposed to ha- it was supposed to have gave. It's true. <laughs> I think he, I think <laughs> sometimes filmmakers in their mind, something says, oh my God, this is, the girls are going to go off. That is not what happened. Uh, <laughs> they're they're going to love these beige tones. Just you wait. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, the content isn't boring, but like, there's no color. Yeah. Everyone's wearing like these muted colors. I can, I can guarantee you German people wear colors in the fall. I can guarantee you they don't all wear black. And colors gray. in fall? Groundbreaking. Beyond all of that, I have to separate it from the original because I do like it as a standalone film. And for exactly what you were saying, Mila, about the incorporation of like dance and into the body horror of it all, because like, um, like when you're a dancer, like control over your body is everything. And like, and so the fact that they were, it really reminded me of that scene in Us, like the ballet scene where like the tethered is being forced to like dance with the Mm -hmm. other. Like that scene is like probably the first and maybe most jarring scene of it all. It's like the thought of not like losing control of your body of like the abject of like urinating or like breaking something or bleeding, whatever, like spit, all of that is like horrific to the average person, but like to a dancer, like that is your, your body is everything. And it's like the breaking of bones. was like to me a masterpiece body horror in so many ways and i and i just needed to separate it from the original i do Mm -hmm. love 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 the original but it was it was mostly like it was unafraid to reference but it was also unafraid to not (laughs) reference you know i love how this happens in every episode now i didn't hate this movie i think it's just as as a standalone film it's not bad there's just a lot of things that i'm like i didn't need it it's indulgent for sure. 30 to 40 minutes could have just been gone. And I have a slight issue with the fact that I think a lot of white filmmakers will make these incredibly long films. And then when people critique them and say, you could have cut off this much content, they'll be like, you just didn't understand it. Like this recently happened with the Zack Snyder's four hour Justice League that I will never give my time to. But say, making a long ass movie and saying like you need to watch it multiple times is ridiculous. Consider how many directors and filmmakers of color cannot even get their films made. And you want me to sit here and watch a movie where I look at it and I can say 30 to 40 minutes could have gone is annoying to me. It's not a bad movie. It's just, it goes on for way too long. And I think it takes itself too seriously in a way that makes the viewer start to get exhausted. Like I can tell that this movie was meant to be artsy. I can tell it was meant to be award show season fodder. It didn't pick up, but (laughs) that made it not as enjoyable to watch while I think the original was literally just making a movie this one I could tell 
was trying to be artsier, was trying to get like awards to a season buzz and was trying to like take itself very seriously. And I kind of feel like some of the fun in horror is the movie not taking itself so seriously. Even I feel like Possession didn't go as like, I'm so serious. I'm an artsy movie. It was just, some of it was literally clearly shooting the shit. <laughs> shooting the shit. So true. I love it. Can we talk about the larger context, the German, the Berlin Wall, the whatever? Because I was a little confused. So apparently when I said the original point about colors and aesthetics in that interview where he references the German autumn, and this is something I saw that consistently picked up in the reviews in that they do sort of chop to this hijacking event, but they don't explain it. And I think that ironically just intersplicing it isn't enough to like make a metaphor or draw a comparison between the plot of the witches and then the context of Berlin. I felt like it needed some sort of explicit link. I don't know. Sometimes I think there was kind of a disconnect there and that's a common critique from what I could see of this film. But essentially in October 1977, this Lufthansa flight 181 was hijacked by four members of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine with the aim of securing the release of imprisoned Red Army faction leaders in German pr- prisons. So apparently, like, the aim of this film was to sort of intersplice with, like, that instance, and I think it was done to foreshadow Mother Suspirium's um, infiltration into the coven later on, I think. You know, like, I think the theme of, like, he even said it in that quote about colors. Like, mm-hmm. he really wants this infiltration theme to be, like, right at the forefront. But it doesn't always land. I still really like this film. I just think, like, it was a bit too indulgent and that link could have been better. I do think it was nice that there was an attempt to make the background of it relevant because there was no real reason that it was in Germany in the original one. There was not, like, a specific attempt to try to delve into that so I do appreciate the link was attempted to be made but also I feel like sometimes it doesn't always have to be explained in a way where people use like the Berlin Wall or like uh I think honestly a lot of I think film theorist and criticism comes from people like trying to connect major events like the fall of the Berlin Wall or like the split between North and South Korea in every Korean film. And I feel like that's what he's doing here. And I'm like, it didn't necessarily make sense here. I feel like, honestly, they would have been better off just delving deeper into like the history of witches in Germany or something. Maybe, yeah. I forgot to say, you mentioned the Berlin Wall. Of course, I think the strategic placement of the Dance Academy next to the Berlin Wall was meant to be about like, there's a division in Berlin and there's a division in this leadership. Like, is it going to be Mother Marcos or Mother Blanc? Yeah. Or, yeah. But, like, one situation is more serious than the other. <laughs> you, yeah. And they're telling me it's witches. <laughs> like, that's what I'm upset about is, like, you frame this whole thing as if the witches are the thing I'm supposed to care about in the end. So, like, don't make a movie with, like, a larger political <laughs> parallel where in the end I'm thinking about, like, ooh, what if my coven gets infiltrated? Because it's, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's simply not how things occur. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to, like, hate on this movie because I I actually so enjoyed it. It was just too long and the context, like you said, didn't land. Mm. But I I do think it does a lot of things really well. Like you said about the body horror, it's so excellent. And Miss Tilda Swinton, can we talk about it? Yeah. I I feel like like when Louisa didn't realize Eddie Murphy was playing everyone in Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> Eddie Murphy in Whiteface? I totally missed that. That's yeah. what I felt. Like I was that shookened by it. I was like, you mean to tell me 
Well, they they hid it from everybody. What, during production, people get because there was like a photo. There was a photo leaked of the psychiatrist, and they went to like the grave saying that it wasn't Tilda Swinton. And they even like she made him uh, an IMBD page, like the actor who they said was playing him. Like the commitment to that lie. I was, wow. but it was also for for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like it was just for fun. And I'm like, why? So I guess in that way, Taya, if you want some confusion, there's your confusion. <laughs> like why is Tilda Swinton doing it? She was also the 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 mother's the mother's Marcos, yeah. Mother Marcos when she's like melting and decrepit looks like I don't know if y'all have these commercials in the UK for like don't smoke weed, but there was this commercial. I, I mean like this particular commercial where she's like sitting in the couch and she's like literally like deflated like she's just yeah. a sack of skin and they're like <laughs> what happened they're like what happened they're like oh ever since she started smoking pot like this is what happened as soon as i saw mother marcos i'm like oh no she's on the weed (laughs) oh my god you just uncovered some really deep memories i forgot about those commercials now that i i think i've went on and on about how much i all the aspects that i didn't like about this movie but i actually do like this movie shockingly that's what we do we criticize because we love it I'm going to say why I do like the movie, and I think it's because it kind of reminds me of another polarizing film, which is Mother! Exclamation Point, which was directed by Darren Aronofsky. I think, like, especially the, the scene with the heart and the fire and all of it kind of really reminded me of each other. But I think the performances in the movie were very strong. I do like the idea of like false leaders because I think there are a lot of times where people follow someone up just based on that person's inflation of their identity, which I thought was a great use of the surprises Dakota Johnson the whole time. Because I think the in the original, like the fact that Susie arrives and everything where it starts happening it would have been great if she had more of a link into it. So I do like that she was the, f- the final link and it, everything was about her. I also liked the fact that they didn't feel like it was, it didn't feel like the, the, the trope of the witch was being used necessarily villainously in this movie. It felt like it was specifically those people who were villains, not like every mm. witch in the world was evil. Mm-hmm. And I, liked the the power that Dakota Johnson Susie had versus I feel like the other one was a bit more uh, kind of like scattered and chaotic which honestly I thought was relatable in the context of that film I think this movie does a really good job at making the story more feminine which is enjoyable from this context and that's how they really differ the insidiousness of not being able to see who's killing Olga and the kind of makes like the the mental aspect a bit stronger because you know that like the the villainry that is going on is completely in their head and there's no one pulling the strings behind the scene and there's no monster there's no confusion at any point of like how insidious and evil and behind the scenes it is and I do think it does a good job in that way that I think bullying and arguing with women is (laughs) not to stereotype but like (laughs) I don't know if you guys have ever like fought with like 
a boyfriend or a brother or anything like that. But it's like very straightforward. At some point, they're going to call you crazy. <laughs> At some point, they're going to call you crazy. You're just going to argue on and on. You'll make points. They'll make points, whatever. But like when I argue with my sister, the way that we will get into each other's heads and like just pull strings I thought that this movie did a great job at showing how villainry and like evil changes based on genders and I like that it wasn't like these evil women manipulating men it was like an insidious weird mind control thing but it wasn't in the way that Black Swan was like using women's competitiveness and like trying to impress this weird male teacher guy (laughs) It wasn't using that. It was like specifically just, I don't know. I just, it it worked. Were all the dancers in on it? That's just something I wasn't clear no, about. Like, were they being controlled? No. Yeah, they're being mm-hmm. manipulated. So, and you can kind of see that in the final. It's something that maybe should have been a bit more clear too, I guess. In the final and like when they all go out to dinner, I believe that they're all drugged beforehand and they get progressively like woozier. Oh. And then you kind of get to the end where they're all dancing. I think it's implied that they're under some sort of trance and like each ma- matron in the academy has a, a younger dancer counterpart. So we talked about it, what it doesn't do well with context. And I thought we could talk about one thing that I think it does do well with context or we, maybe they should have made even more of a thing of perhaps more so than the infiltration thing. Was the concept of, like, guilt and shame and how that's linked to, like, men and then Germany. I liked that introduction. I loved the sort of swap out with the wife and, like, the psychiatrist coming into the building and, like, how they treated him. I mean, I didn't love it, but, you know, it was really – it was degrading (laughs) and humiliating for him. But, like, what they were saying to him, like, they were blaming him for, like, you know, being inactive and not saving his wife while he still could, getting her out of Berlin while he still could or – yeah, so, and I think there was an interview that uh, Luca Guadagnino did with Nate Jones for Vulture, and he says that it's very much about the collectiveness of Germany, which at the time had to deal with what happened and what they did. And he said it's very telling that after the war, for 20 years, there was silence about it. So not only was there a need to deal with the guilt and shame of what had been uh, made by Nazi Germany, there was also the guilt and shame of the 20 years of obliviousness. And I think that context worked really well in the yeah. film. But it was just trying to do too much. But I wish he, there had been more about that. Yeah, the line that struck me the most is, you know, he's in the bed and she says, we need guilt and shame, but not yours. And like that yeah. really, really struck me. And that is when I sort of like made the, the general connections and sort of forgave where I felt like things were loose. I was like, okay, if that mm-hmm. I, if I understand that as the central theme, then I understand the political connections that are being made. And I think the, the, the nature of it being 1977, I think they tried to connect it to just current events and things like that. You're yeah. right. The, the context of that shoehorned. larger theme was, I think, hit, hit in a way that was mm-hmm. stronger. I actually prefer this version like significantly more than the original. Art, art, ho? Really? <laughs> For me, they're equally art, ho. I guess in different way, yeah. But coming from the possession BFI queen, <laughs> I was expecting a different answer. But wouldn't it make more sense that I'd prefer this? I think the remake is more aligned with possession. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair, fair. As in, the reason that I think what, and Xavier, you said like the ending that like tying with guilt and shame is kind of what solidified everything for you. The characterization of the psychiatrist and his wife's backstory and like the whole historical context of Berlin at the time that is the reason why I like the movie so much and that's why I kind of forgive (laughs) the grayscale I'm like yep it's 
vibes yeah. and the correct vibes and then like it's it's two and a half hours long and that does suck but i will not pro- i probably won't watch it again so that's fine i think that like the emotional impact of the end completely won me over and i was like yeah i love this film but i won't i probably won't watch it again i would love to watch it again i would want to watch it again that's what's annoying i want to but it's too long maybe in like 10 years <laughs> The first time I watched this, I fell asleep after Olga died, and then um, I woke up. <laughs> That's pretty early. And everything was, everything was fucking chaos. I woke up and <laughs> it was on fire, and I was like, "What?" I saw it again like the next day because my sister was yelling at me because this was like when it first came out, and so I hadn't seen yeah. it since then. And I was like obsessed with it when it first came out, which is odd considering I had already seen the original then. But then when I watched it this time, I was like, "I'm not as in love." I think I think the the absence did not make the heart fonder, but I still do like it. I will say the one thing that rubbed me the wrong way about the the larger connection is is that Susie is an American and she's an American because she's an American in the original and like they make her Mennonite in that one. This this is something I've not figured out why she's Mennonite in the remake. Um, but, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. But in the in the end, it is like an American taking mercy on like a Jewish man. And I think that was like, it, it, and it was like, oh, look at all, look at all this grace she's able to give. But no, but it's not her. It's like she's Father Suspirium. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they like I grounded her Americanness in a way that was like very like not in the original. Like yeah, she just yeah. happened to be American in the original. <laughs> and in this one, and then they terrorize her and they're like, get rid of the American. Yeah, and it's like all hail the American. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. They also. They make quite a strange connection between witches and ritual and like Nazism, which was a little bit like yeah. the whole like delusions of power thing. Oh, connection no. was a little funky. I You're was like, ruining mm, it for me. <laughs> I don't know, but but that's the thing. I was like, I don't care because I like the end, so I don't care. I appreciate that the first one was just vibes, but like some of the content that this one went with was a choice that made me be like, oh, just just take it out, just take it out. <laughs> I want to ask you guys about uh, archaic mother vibes in in this film because I think there's a lot of it in the sense that we got womb imagery in the terms of like how we always have those hidden hallways. Um, We've spoken about this as well with like Alien and in the room. That's a dark memory. (laughs) Basically, I think, I mean, I don't think he basically implies it that Luca Guadagnino has some mommy issues going on. And in, like, several interviews, he talks about, like, uh, like the portrayal of motherhood specifically in this film. In one interview, again, with Arston Anderson, he says that the witchcraft is psychoanically tied to the concept of the terrible mother. And I think that kind of links in nicely with what we say about the archaic mother, the sort of mother who kills her children, the mother who sort of castrates in Ms. Barbara Creed's uh, The Monstrous Feminine, of course. And then in another or in a later part of the interview, he says it's about how you behave in the relationship between mother and daughter and what happens when that power is basically swapped around. Um, So the idea is, I guess, that the daughter, Suspiria, is reclaiming the original sort of Suspiria, mother Suspirium lore. Mm. Uh, She kind of subverts mother Marcos and Blanc, I guess, but she likes Blanc. So, yeah. And then in general about witchcraft, um, he kind of says that the coven of witches is about like Again, sort of the concept of the powerful woman, which has been um, demonized in history. 
Luca Guadagnino also says in an interview with Nate Jones for Vulture that I think if we decide not to take into consideration the cliche that a mother is a caring, nurturing person who is bound to her role of raising a kid, we see that the relationship between the mother and the kid has a more complex layer. Then we can say that a movie in which someone wants to be born again and kill the daughter in order to do that is a real depiction of motherhood somehow. I mean, I can't say I agree, but I agree that he has mommy issues. Like, you're right that not all moms are great, but I don't think you can say it's, like, a typical archetype of a mother to want to kill their child. I do like the relationship between Blanc and Susie. It was a nice twist at the end with um, Susie ending up being the mother because you kind of see her challenge her Blanc's authority with the dance. Oh, yeah. And then Blanc has to die. Why did she? She didn't have to. Because she was basically hesitant to, like present Susie as the host for Marcos um she and I think I don't know whether it was like emotional like an emotional attachment or whether she just knew it wasn't right no she did she was like she was basically like it doesn't feel right she probably knew that something was off about Susie um and then Marcos was like yeah in another interview he draw someone draw sorry not in an interview in an analysis of it someone I think it was the final girls yeah the final girls in casting Swinton as both the paternal therapist and the maternal dance teacher this person says he's drawing a comparison between motherly authority and fatherly authority, like maybe maternal and paternal, um, trying to make that make force you to compare those two characters, which I thought was an interesting interpretation of why Swinton plays both roles. I'm really hammering in this connection to mother exclamation point. But this movie to me feels like the reveal at the end that Susie is the mother suspirium, I think is interesting in regards to like the way when we watch that movie, mother exclamation point. I hate saying the exclamation point, but it, it sounds different if I don't. Mother! <laughs> mother! <laughs> um, I think the difference is like when we're watching that movie, like the entire time you're wondering like what is his role and why is he so powerful why are people so fascinated by him and we feel the same way when we watch this and we're seeing Blanc her character because there's all the dancers are so fascinated with her and everyone wants to impress her and everyone's all around her the school is centered around her and she seems to be this figure of such authority and so we know when we're watching mother exclamation point that it's because Javier Bardem is playing the Christ figure and in this one I think it's an interesting flop but because it kind of creates like all this build-up of you thinking Blanc is so important only for you to find out it's Susie and when I was watching Mother at the end and I started making all these I guess connections in my head and I was like ah, she's definitely representing Mother Earth she's the original creation she's wondering why he's letting every other all his other creations destroy her and take her child and kill it and this movie felt similar but in the way that it seemed like an angry mother earth like if it was revealed at the end like she was the mighty one and that she was angry and she had to take back all of this doubt of how powerful she was um so this one i think was like sort of cathartic in a way <laughs> please beware i'm not if you're a christian watching this i am christian and i'm not in any way conflating religious figures or anything but I'm saying this one feels like almost cathartic in a in a weird underlying way because especially that it's set in Berlin and it's like post-World War II and the world has been bombed and all these horrifying acts have happened in and all these people are murdered and their people displaced it's like a, a take back of the earth 
from all the people who doubted how powerful it was. Uh, in the similar interview I've already quoted for Vulture, Guadagnino is like talking about how he wanted Tilda for all the three roles because he wanted her to represent the uncanny and the unconscious. And he thought that in doing that, Tilda could play all three aspects of the human psyche. And he said the id, the ego, and the superego. So I was like, I wanted to ask you guys, which do you think would represent what? If we understand the id as like primal, the superego is like societal norms, mm-hmm. moral consciousness, and then the ego, which goes yeah. between. Who would be who? I don't know. They don't They don't seem tidy enough. I didn't think so either. I was like, maybe Mother Marcos would be id, just because very primal connection to the body as well. Yeah. Um, and that would make the psychiatrist a hyper aware of like society structures. He literally analyzes the brain. I don't know. I guess Blanc goes between... Um, like she has a mask that she presents to society and then she has contact to the witches underneath. But then I was like, I feel like that was loose. <laughs> I mean, we said that he tried to do a lot with this and it didn't all land. The thing that confuses me about this movie that I think in creating, tying up all the loose ends, it created a massive one is how on earth is Susie, this explicitly American girl who's went through her whole life in like Ohio and then she's also Mother Suspirium. Because she's reborn. I was under the impression that she was all, she she was, if not consciously aware of it, subconsciously aware of it the whole time because she had this like draw to go to Berlin as a child. She, she like started this path of like becoming a dancer because like that is like where their magic is derived. I thought that was what it was sort of being implied that she was like the best dancer. Like I, by the time it's revealed, I'm like, uh, I'm under the impression that she has known at least for half the time that she's been at the dance academy but like i feel like it's something that she knew all along or is or was maybe even lying what about. i think is confusing to me is like is she the original or is she a person no i think she's body a, that has been used yeah i think like, she's a reincarnation so i'm like mm-hmm. that is where it's loosely veiled and also as a coven I feel like they would be able to feel her. I think they did feel her. Because I'm like, they would be able to feel her being that far away and not ever think it was Margot. So I was like, that is a bit... Marco? <laughs> Whatever her name is. They wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to fall for that because I feel like they should have felt the entire time that she was far away and also been seeking her out because she was such an important piece and not be able to fall susceptible to like this false woman who's saying, I need this girl's body. That to me didn't really make sense because if she was that important, I felt like they should have been a- also been able to fill the pool. And so I was like, how did that work? And also the, the religion and all of that that she grew up with? Question marks. I do wish they had, like, put some more foundation in the beginning. Like, the the quote where her mother, they flash back to her mother during the transformation, and they're like, my eldest daughter or someone is is my sin or something. Yeah. And I wish that had been, like, at the beginning. Like, yeah. I wish there could have been a repeated flashback to something in that moment rather than just her breath, her dying. I did like the use of um, sound again, like, the breathing and stuff. But that's, that's also what indicated to me that she knew. Like, even the mother knew something was up with her in that case just is her does her mother know that like is she born from a different father how does her was her mother part of this coven there's so many things that they give us in this movie that the things that make it 
mystery are things that should have been answered. You just said you don't want to know how magic works. You said that but a segment ago. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they try to explain the magic, but they don't really explain the origin of Susie. And I'm like, if she is this important figure, why? And her mom knows, and she has some awareness could we not know how her mom knows? I don't want a connection. I liked the evil yeah. incarnation. Why on earth would she incarnate in like a random girl in America if the, all the importance was in the location of Berlin? It <laughs> because just she had make the sense. best dance skills, Taya. She picked the one with the best body, yaddy, yaddy. <laughs> Stop. I wish that the sort of demonic figure that is sort of uh, Mother Suspiria didn't arise from the cellar and then come up. I thought that was really confusing. I I would have rather she opened her heart and like it came out because that would have made me think, oh, it's reincarnation. Ooh. For a second, I was like, oh, well, the ritual just, it worked. Like, there's Mother Suspirium. They wanted a body. But then they were trying to say, oh, I was here the whole time. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm. So I wish it had come from within other than, like, outwardly. But sure. It seems less like it's Susie herself who is Mother Suspirium and more like, she is a vessel for Mother Suspirium. Yeah, she is. We're all just meat sacks. We're all vessels, you know? In the 2020 remake of The Craft, a young girl named Lily moves in with her stepdad at her mother's request. At her new school, she befriends a group of young witches, Frankie, Tabby, and Lords, who recruit Lily as their fourth coven member. Together, the foursome performs spells and attempt to navigate typical teenage drama. Meanwhile, Lily begins to feel uncomfortable around her stepfather and his strict ways of running the house. We need to put a spell on Timmy. We don't want to hurt him though, right? She's right. The number one rule of the craft, if a person is a danger to herself or others, they will be bound. My first point of this is like, how does she have so little awareness of the man that her mom just married? That's your first point? I'm going back. I'm going all the way back. <laughs> how did a woman write this and not understand how menstruation works? When has period blood, when your period comes on, ever dripped down a chair? That happened to a friend of mine. <laughs> if you're not wearing a pad. You have to think about what she's wearing, though. She's wearing jeans. Like it would. They would absorb that. It, exactly. It wouldn't, like, drip through. There'd have to be so much blood, and you'd have to be sitting there, like, all day. The puddle on the floor. At this point, girl got an injury. That's not a period. <laughs> oh, God. It would have been a lot more natural for her to, like, raise her hand or for the teacher to, like, stand, say, stand up and introduce herself and yeah. to have it on the back of her pants. I was under the impression it was her first period because she got powers. But I also had, like, qualms with the the period scene because okay first of all i totally agree not a realistic representation of the period and if they're going i mean i think one of them literally says like damn you have a heavy flow or something or your flows your flow's heavy i was like oh my god i want to die first of all but then i think they were linking that to like super powerful witch and yeah. i was like this is a contradiction because yep. you were trying to make a point about inclusivity by having a transgender witch mm. and saying they literally have a point about how um can't relate to like something i think they talk about the body or something the female body like uh cramps biologically female body and i was like i think that if you're trying to sort of unshackle which i think is really good but if you're mm -hmm. trying to unshackle the traditional association with witchcraft to like biologically female processes cool 
but then reflect that in the instances because if you're then going back on it in the very first um, instance where she gets her period and it's like, oh, it's because she's super powerful. That scene was so badly done in addition because the teacher is just standing there like as people make fun of her. And I'm like, he has yeah. no control over yeah. this class. And then we have the three girls go up in- to the bathroom in the middle of class, presumably. How did they get from class to the bathroom to like be like, hey, one of your friend? I was like, they're in the, the middle of class. Did you forget where this was happening? I think, Louisa, what you're hitting at is like one example of like the whole thing is so full of contradictions of what they're attempting to do with this remake. So like we, okay, we've seen the original, we've talked about the original, we've poked holes in like where the original is problematic and like what we would like to have seen would be different. But we, you know, appreciate it for what it was when it was. They are, okay, this is very clearly written by millennials <laughs> for a Gen Z audience. I feel like maybe somebody has a little sibling or a niece or a nephew who they consulted. Like, I believe they had consultants. I believe they had consultants to talk about gender and sexuality and race. And I'm sure they had a lot of diversity meetings about it. And I'm sure that they read all the correct literature. But it never lands because they will um, they will immediately contradict themselves immediately so like homegirl the one black one again what if there was more than one but let's just go whatever (laughs) they tried to like remedy the rachel true situation but she basically is still her whole thing is about being black and then her friends use aave through the whole goddamn movie and she never says anything about it. And then she sits there and she goes, oh, oh two truths and a lie. One, I wish I had more black friends. Two, here are two other ways that I've been deeply traumatized. And I'm like, girl, what kind of slumber party is this? Go get you some black friends if you're so upset about it. Like, I understand that they wanted to introduce like some sort of racial element to it and like acknowledge oppression. But who the fuck would say that in such an abrupt way at that time? This was written by a white woman. And so that's why I think we honestly, sh- it was very obvious. I would never be in a sleepover and we're like, two treats to line. I'm like, I hope my dad doesn't get shot. Like, what? <laughs> That's like intense. Like, fuck. And no one said anything. No one even acknowledged like, that. Like, it was, it was intense. Like, that was an intense line to have and she just like drops it in. Yeah. And then the Beyonce warship immediately after. I was like, I'm gonna scream. Yeah, that actually sent me over the edge. I was like, <laughs> please. It's just so odd the way that the characters were honestly more explicitly offensive in this yeah in addition like the way that they made that dude say he was bisexual after he was a bully and they're like oh we put a spell on him oh now he's our friend don't know how that happened can i just say i did not like i did not like woke timmy better woke timmy was actually (laughs) he gave me the ick i wanted him gone i don't want you to be bi right now like you were like you're (laughs) your truth is that you're an asshole and you should have stuck to it and like the lore of the original craft is like spells are wrong to do on people because they they manipulate people's free will whoever that Mm. young man was Mm. bi or not was not him he was not acting with free will so what have we learned in the lessons of magic and karma, we've learned 100% nothing. Like, this movie was made for a new generation when it should have been made for the fans of the original one. This movie, I felt like, was just very unhinged, though. Like, in the way that I think Nancy in the original was just the only unhinged character, and then Sarah, I think Sarah's the main girl in the original. Yeah. 
her character is like the most powerful and the one who completes everything and she's not the one that like has lost control so to me in this movie for nancy's daughter whoopty i don't know how she had a child (laughs) to somehow be the most powerful didn't make sense because it was like how did we go from nancy had no powers without having sarah to complete their circle to her having the most powerful witch daughter it would have made more sense if they made her mom sarah but they obviously wanted to use the most iconic character and then make her say like that we are those weirdos mr awkwardly (laughs) that didn't land either (laughs) everything was so poorly done they made the black friend in this movie a stereotype they made the guy who was the bully bisexual and somehow thought it made him like atone for all of his evil doing and being a bad person i want to talk about like him being bisexual as well because again i completely agree that him being bi did not redeem anything and i think this is like again very like I don't know her sexuality, but I'm going to just say straight white woman director or someone writer trying to make a script and being like, well, then he's going to be bisexual and he's redeemed. And it's like, do you not realize that like there's so much racism, there's so much like sexism within the queer community. And it's like, it's not, it doesn't redeem somebody. It doesn't redeem them to be queer. Like it's not enough. You can't just be like, I have a woke past now. It's ridiculous. And then I thought like his death to me they again a film that's trying to be woke and inclusive and then they immediately go to the barrier gaze i was like really because his death was completely unneeded and also (laughs) a little bit shocking in a film that was supposed to be like a light-hearted teen movie like the original was kind of i mean to be fair he does die in the original but that was more of like I don't know. I just felt like this one was kind of like, it comes out of nowhere. It sets up itself to be really lighthearted, and then he kills, it's said that he's killed himself, sorry. And I thought that the plot could have been exactly the same, and it also would have been better, I think, the ending, if they had, like, the warlock dad, like, a scene where the warlock dad goes into the bedroom, and we see him, like, just tie him up or something. Like, he locks him up, traps him away, and then that could have been, like, more like of a hint that the warlock dad was evil, because I also think that came, like, completely out of nowhere, basically like she has like one flashback and then it's like by the way all men are evil these warlocks are trying to get you oogie boogie spooky black christmas remake but yeah so i was just pissed off with the bury your gaze trope because i was like you didn't even need to do it he didn't need to die you could have like he could have come back at the end and be like oh i escaped or you saved me i don't know um yeah i agree like the i mean obviously like internalized homophobia it's a an issue especially in high school but the whole like dick misogynist bully it's the worst who's always trope. just a white guy who turns out to be gay it's the worst fucking trope and then like you said they go on to kill him anyway you get another barrier gays trope she sexually assaulted him by putting mm-hmm. a spell on yeah, him to kiss him in a movie that yeah. is supposed to be woke i also thought that was crazy because in the first film that was one of the things that was bad like he's so in love with her that he has to assault her and then it's like are you equating love with sexual mm-hmm. assault and then they did it something else problematic with a love spell again it's like did you not learn and then she thinks that's the reason that he killed himself and she's like yeah he killed himself because i put a love spell on him so he would make out with me and i was like girl this is weird he's got issues (laughs) like he had a lot of internalized homophobia and you're like it's me i did that (laughs) like the world does not revolve around you (laughs) Uh, I was really sad David Duchovny was a part of this project because I really like the X-Files and I was upset to see him there. 
I think the way that she marketed this to the people who were in this movie was very well the entire studio I'm not gonna place all the blame on Zoe Lister Jones although I was disappointed because I thought her movie band-aid was pretty okay but this was a mess and the fact that she wrote and directed this and I know as this was being made in her mind she thought she was just giving the all the energy that needed to be gave to the original and I'm like you somehow made it more problematic somehow (laughs) I want you to imagine being like okay we're all on TikTok you know the baby witch is on TikTok imagine imagine like watching this like that's exactly the kind of dumb shit they do they're all making honey jars they're all doing stupid love spells they're all like fucking with things they shouldn't be fucking with and so when I was watching that I'm like "Mm, this is just how it is and like it's unfortunate (laughs) but like I I I will say I agree a bit yeah I can I, I can imagine a bunch of fourteen year olds doing a blood pact and making a coven after watching this. But the thing is, okay, I did I had a little note which is like this portrayal of witchcraft is very TikTok, which is ironic yeah. because the original is very Tumblr, which I was like, oh, yo, big sis, little sis. But <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I also don't think it's necessary. It does like mimic the actions of the witches of TikTok. But it does. It's not like cool enough for the Gen Zs on TikTok, so I don't even think they're gonna like it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. feel like the people on TikTok. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I think they have somewhat of an ethical compass, um, and they love to drag people. Didn't they hex things. the moon? They did. They did. I'm, I'm just... saying Gen Z in general, not not baby witches. But I think they have okay. enough an, of an ethical conscious to not put a love spell on someone because they don't like you but you still want to do romantic stuff no i think they're definitely going to do that i think they're for sure going to do that they're children in addition to that it was just like also i think the use of warlocks in this was weird and it was like a way to try to make it empowering but it just didn't land because it was not like fleshed out enough it was just kind of like i don't know it was like and they're warlocks and i was like what (laughs) It just comes out of nowhere. I don't think they build her stepfather up enough as a villain. He's just kind of a weirdo. Like the, a little birdie told me you like mint chip ice cream. Presumably he's dated her mom for more than five seconds. Why are they acting like she's never met the man who's, who her mom just married? Like she would have been at the wedding, presumably, unless they also did a courthouse wedding, but she somehow didn't see them. Like that didn't make sense. Are they married? Yeah, they were married. (laughs) Oh, I missed that. He I was like her was actual like... stepfather. I miss a lot of background. They do this a lot in movies. And I'm like, people don't typically, you know, be a single parent their entire life. I grew up with a single parent and then marry someone who their child has never met, especially if they have a daughter. That just typically doesn't happen. Yeah. So it may, always makes yeah. me angry when they use that trope to be like, this villain is the stepfather that she's never met. And I'm like... I mean, that typically just doesn't happen. Usually when people are raising their child by themselves, they're very cautious about like, oh, I have to introduce them to my kids at some point. And if my kids don't like them, I'm not going to marry them. I'm not going to date someone for three or four years, never introduce them to my kid and marry them and be like, <laughs> surprise, we're moving in. Like, that just doesn't make yeah, yeah, yeah. sense in an yeah, organic I mean, way. And I think a part of this 
what makes this movie terrible is like none of it happens organically. The period doesn't make sense. How they show up in the bathroom to be her friend don't make sense. Why they randomly, why does she go to someone's house and get in a damn bathtub with candles and some milky ass water? That doesn't, that doesn't it's really quite make nice sense. Though, doesn't it? it looked like a yeast infection to me, but okay. After she's known them for a, a, like a day, she's like, yeah, I'm going to go to your house and get some milky bath water. Absolutely. We're friends now. Why there are the sleepover and this girl is talking about how she wish she has more black friends. There's, it's not like there's no other black people at the school. Like there was in the original. She could go make the black friends that she craves. <laughs> she craves. Sorry. There's no excuse so on her end. Cause I'm like, it's not even like her friends are good friends. It feels like a movie and it feels like a bad movie at that the the like thing about what we want out of it is like the same problem we ran into with black christmas and that like yeah. like how do you make okay i'll use the example like how do you portray ethical witchcraft in a way that's still entertaining that's not why we watch horror movies right how are we gonna make an ethical slasher about women and <laughs> like and, and because when you try it comes out as this like corny the attempt at political correctness i'll only excuse if you like don't then completely contradict yourself right and black christmas does the same thing where we're like you're doing the like you're making the problem worse <laughs> like whatever thing you're trying to critique you're making it look stupid and you're also making the problem worse it gives me Biden Kamala Stan vibes. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure the the director is also kind of a part of that because I feel like most yeah. of liberal Hollywood is like yeah. feeds into that. But also, I I actually saw a critique on TikTok of modern feminism that where it was saying like I fear white women in a different way that I fear white men. Oh it's yeah, because like the oh, insidiousness yeah. of it all and like how white women don't necessarily want equality for all women it's like equality and white supremacy and the way that her the main character is in this movie sorry mila <laughs> <laughs> the way the character is in this oh movie God. to me feels similar it's not like she is necessarily angry at like the warlocks or the patriarchal forces in this movie because of how they treat other people it's like directly yeah. because of her and she's like i'm so powerful and i want to be the the queen of it all and even when like her friends are calling her out being like uh oh, you're you're not doing this correctly and like we kind of don't want to talk to you because you're a freak um <laughs> her, she doesn't not, none of the criticism really lands to her it's all like in a way that the audience is meant to think like she's empowering and like they're just being mean to her and i'm like no like she was she was full-on sexually yeah. assaulted someone um to be honest she broke his trust she was a shitty friend she yeah. was using magic unethically i mean but they truly met her two weeks ago like you let you let a full stranger in your coven i don't know what to tell you <laughs> Also, a thing that is confusing is, like, the reason why they let Sarah into the coven in the original movie, even though they didn't necessarily like her or trust her, was because they needed her. In this yeah. movie, yeah. they already had some powers. They just wanted to freeze time. Didn't make sense why they needed to freeze time, but, you know, whatever. They want to go in force and see if they could freeze time. I just, I don't understand why they befriended her because she, I was pissed off because, first of all, I saw the trailer and I was like, I bet she's a lesbian. 
I'm sorry, that's a stereotype. However, she had that short hair, and I was like, she's probably going to be cool, she's probably going to be queer. And then instantly in the first scene, like in the car or something, or she, or maybe it's the first day of school, she has these like dangly pearl earrings with like a big-ass bow, and I was like, you're definitely not queer, because I don't think anyone queer would have be that like fashionably <laughs> inept, because like, you cannot mix like that short hair with those ugly-ass earrings. And then I saw on YouTube, the top comment was... Um, what in the forever 21 is going on here like yeah. on the youtube trailer and that made me laugh so much when we all watched black christmas and we kept saying like it looked low budget this movie didn't look low budget it looked like they just didn't try yeah i want to know what was like the turnaround between filming it and then pro- like producing it and putting it out because it just seems like very little time went into like editing it and honestly writing it <laughs> it seems like they just came up with this idea wrote it filmed it one week and it's very like Tyler Perry tries to be a feminist that's white. That is actually the excuse that we had for Black Christmas, the remake, right? Because it was produced really quickly, really quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. I don't know the process for this. Maybe that would make it better. I don't know. Honestly, I feel like this is worse than Black Christmas because at least with Black Christmas. I don't know. No. I didn't hate the characters as much as I hated in this. I was just like, who am I meant to like? They're both pretty bad. Like, honestly, I was convinced they had the same director until I looked yeah. it up. I was like, it's too same. similar. Yeah. Honestly, and the, what makes me really angry is I know there were a lot of people who probably watched this and actually was like, this is great feminism. And I'm like, it's just, it's not. It's not. Please mm. stop making these weird girl boss horror films. Like, it's just not it. I feel like things that are, like, less explicitly done, honestly, work better sometimes. Yeah. We were just saying that the original Suspiria does what we want it to do. It gave what it said it was going to give. Because there's no <laughs> plot, just vibes. And sometimes, like, like the art, the artistry of that is enough to, like, get across of, like, oh, what a normal locker room scene that none of us noticed. You know? Literally, yeah. all you have to do is just not be a weirdo don't yeah. be racist don't be a weirdo don't be homophobic it's that simple you don't have to go out of your way to be like i yeah. am not you know yeah. that because i'm like it starts to appear that the makers of this film are literally the parents from get out like that that's uh, the vibe please. oh fuck <laughs> that's what it looks like it looks like a person who is like work secretly working for patriarchal horses yeah um, but um is like under the guise of being a feminist that's what this and black christmas look like and i'm like it's so weird are y'all following the drama of this like industry plant band on tiktok oh my goodness this is exact okay so there's this band that i saw it on my for you page too which is bizarre which tells me that they're like really pushing it it's just these like te- like alt teens or whatever and they're singing about how they hate fucking men and they they're just so cringe it's literally the lyrics are like if an ai randomly generated sentences based off of tiktok comments like literally it's the most bizarre thing i've ever seen and immediately everyone was like this is a fake band like it was it was so clockable and so now people are like doing deep dives into like they truly started like three months ago all of them looked mad different before they started this they have fake stan accounts on twitter they're really really trying to like get the gen z's to like they're called tramp stamps this movie is like the is like the tramp stamps of of movies it's like an industry plant film the chorus is like i'm not gonna hook up with another like straight white man or something like that 
we have to get past like the 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 straight white man as a villain as society we really do not that they are not villains but you really exclude like they really write a way that makes it seem like if you're not straight and you're a white man, like you're somehow better. And I'm like, I know a lot yeah. of racist gay white men yeah, yeah. in this world. I was world. about to say, I've seen like so many gay white men on TikTok and they keep saying straight white men. And I was like, you're literally like, they're here and you're like, just a little bit left. I also see it a lot with like queer white women on TikTok as well, where they'd be like, oh, white women are so annoying, all the Karens. And I'm like, you guys are truly acting like one intersection suddenly makes you a POC. And there's a discrepancy on how this works. And straight white people are not the only villains on earth. I have to tell you guys, you've, you're missing the mark here. And this movie clearly thought that was the case. And that's why they were like, no worries, he's bi. Now he's a friend. And I was like, Ugh. truly, we're missing some steps here. <laughs> and we're forgetting that he, it's not like he unlocked his secret woke self. He was genuinely an asshole. He's under a spell. Like, Well, that's what they said. They were like, let's help him discover his higher self so that i guess that this was they were trying to act like this was always in him and i think that's kind of like the love spell vibes like in the original i mean i think that's also weird because it kind of implies that beneath every jock who acts like as fucking abhorrently as he does there is this woke man and i'm like truly i think most of those jocks who act like that are just inaccessible even if they have internalized homophobia i think like that sense of humanity and compassion is inaccessible at this point and we don't need to go and like humanize him or act like if you just have a stern conversation to a jock and enlighten him he'll be better i was like no no they do this so much though and that's why it's so annoying they do it they did the same plot on sex education as much as i like that show every time i see people like shipping those two characters i'm like eric and adam he adam bullied eric like his entire life him suddenly being like i'm gay and i'm gonna give you a blowjob does not make him a not horrible person i don't really care about like what he goes on at home that's a separate thing and he does need help but that does not excuse his behavior it's the same way that where like i saw something on twitter one time where people were like if you have like a friend or person in your life who has like who's going through things or who has a mental illness and they like literally do something very cruel to you it's not immediately excused by the fact that like yeah. Oh, they have something else going on. You can't like be cruel yeah. to people because something else is going on in your life and think that excuses it. But this movie uses that. And also I would argue like the, using the spell for him to reach his higher self kind of felt like they made him out himself. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And that's, I thought that was where they were going to go when yeah. they said he killed himself. I was like, oh, it's because y'all added him too early. And then she was like, oh, it's because of my love spell. And I was like, I think it's probably because you guys outed him too early. <laughs> like, Great job. Another thing that we had the sex ed class earlier, like where they had like a sort of brief discussion about consent. And then one of the arguments that the other witches gave Lily was that like they put him under that spell against his consent. So somehow that, you know, that's what made it so utterly terrible, which like for sure it does. But then there was this like uncomfortable link between sexual consent and like, I know that in the end they didn't like just try to persuade his views, but they did cast a spell on him but then there's a link between sexual consent and like trying to change someone's mind over and not over just like a a mild disagreement but over being sexist true i really just want to know what was what when when she watched this movie i would have known did she think i I really did not do a good job 
I think they think the opposite. That is a lot of white feminism nowadays. It's like being really explicit with what you believe. It ignores so much nuance, though. Yeah. You don't truly understand intersectionality unless you can have characters who are bi who admit they're problematic. You know, like, that... No, the nuance also means that, like, you have to acknowledge maybe you're not the person to make this film, right? Exactly. And and it's interesting that we're talking about another remake today. Like, we're doing both Suspirias and saying that, like, the second one fills holes where the other didn't, and the first one does the things that the second one didn't, and, like, whatever. In this case, I think it wanted to fill the holes of the first one and, like, the complaints that people had of the first one. I'm like upset it exists like but like yeah I wanted to ask you guys um as well with the first one because I think the people I think people like the first one almost because it's kind of catty bitchy 90s girl group so I wanted to ask what did you think about that move to like community coven like because I think the the oh what's her name I don't want to say the black girl but yes the black girl was like she has a line about community it doesn't feel like a community to me because I think a community is built off of respect and none of them treat her very respectfully. As Ava said, they all are walking around using AAVE. <laughs> they, I, the fact that she wants black friends and they put that in the script, I feel like implies that there's something in that friendship circle that she knows is not a environment yeah. she wants herself to be in um and i think part of it is that they're so they flippantly throw on aave uh, it's just it's a weird dynamic taya that's so true like rather than like critiquing the girl they just kind of like exile whatever main girl's name is and like oh we kind of think you're freaking we don't want to be friends with you anymore there's no uh, like checks and balances of anything it's just like disrespect not really valuing people, no checking people in an actual friendship way. Literally, when she said that she did the love spell, they were just kind of like, reacts later. I was like, who, why are you angry after the fact? You saw that she was unhinged and all of you are unhinged at that for even doing the spell on the guy in the first place. It was just such a blatant bullshit. (laughs) Can I, like, get really big picture? And, like, I apologize in advance for this. But, like, this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently, especially with, like, very young people who are very, invo- like, involving themselves in, like, activism and, you know, creating com- community. They're, like, attempting to, like, create, not covens, some of them are making covens, but so they're, they're attempting to make these, like, communities of empathy. And I think even at some point I, like, made a note, I'm like, okay, it's a good thing that they're making this coven in empathy as opposed for, like, need as the first one. Like, I appreciate that but like when you are young you don't even you think you're right and you think you know what empathy is and you think that you like you are like your your politics are correct and you like are and everyone around you is like agreeing with that and you're like I'm gonna surround myself with these people who like say say that they love and agree with me and are looking out for my best interest but like the nature of being young is that your like relationships fall apart a bit like you're still trying to figure your shit out it's like okay to make mistakes it's okay to do whatever yeah but knowing that don't try to organize around it right don't try like a coven is a serious thing an organization is a serious thing to be to say that you're working for activism to say that you're an organizer is a serious thing Right. And just because everyone mm-hmm. in your circle seems woke and cool and down and whatever, none of y'all have your shit figured out. And to go 
into it as a team and to like attempt to do like teamwork is something that you need to be very mature for like genuinely and i like really worry for like people who are especially like building these like online communities too with like and like their politics are built off of people who they saw 60 seconds of like a 60 second opinion and they're like i agree with that it's so dangerous and like this movie we are okay we have a happy ending and the bad guy was a white dude in the end and like we can all kiki about it but like (laughs) the reality is that like the enemy is within your coven and i get so concerned because like the dynamic that i saw in that movie was not unrealistic right like that is how like Mm. groups of young like queer you know, or even not just like how groups of young people are who like find commonalities. And it's like, it's not, it's not all, you know, kumbaya and let's do a freeze time together. (laughs) I totally agree with what you're saying. I also think like building off of that, I see a lot of young people on TikTok who admire uh, certain people on that app who get on there and like preach a certain type of political opinion and a lot of them honestly are white men um under the guise of being like i am so disattached from this identity i can critique it (laughs) and also only giving them like text of white men like and all of them just kind of eat it up and i think there has to be a level of skepticism anytime you're trying to build a community i think sometimes when you're young you really deeply underestimate the human capacity for evil which in this movie i feel like they're doing i think by making their one singular villain they completely ignore how unethical and fucked up the main girl was and it it wasn't just that simple like oh he's got gone everything's happy and I'm like she's a terrible person and in the original movie we understood that the villain was within the coven it was clear <laughs> right but I feel like this movie is almost going back and trying to act like Nancy wasn't the villain by being like, oh, that's her real mom. And oh, yeah. Her mom's yeah. in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. We've missed some mark here. It's literally <laughs> like that good for her feminism. And I feel like maybe the person, there was some trying to like, oh, good for Nancy. She knew what was what was up. She was so against the patriarchy. And I'm like, she was also a terrible person. She was a terrible person. This girl's a terrible person. Most of the people in this movie are. And I don't think like being horrible is black and white normally. Um, there are some blurred lines in that good people can do bad things. Bad people can do good things. But I feel like this movie is very much going at it from like a black and white perspective of like, this is good and this is bad. And they're putting her in good when we see her do a bunch of bad things. And I think since this is targeted for young people, that is especially dangerous because you can't paint things like sexual assault, outing people, or overall horrible. I <laughs> mean, like, but she's just powerful and she's in her power space overcoming the patriarchy. And I'm like, this is weird. This is very weird. This is kind of like more of a general commentary on woke, the genre of woke that we are seeing right now. I'm really fucking tired of awkward masturbation scenes. I really am. They make me cringe so much. We got that in this one. They hinted at it at that Ginny show on Netflix, that new one that I sent Did that clip watch to it? you guys. No, I just sent that clip oh, to you guys. Yes, I'm judging it from that whole instance from these two 30 seconds. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't need to watch it. Um, and in general, I just feel like I always nowadays see like, maybe it's because like previously people or women complained about how there's not a lot of like, 
depiction of like self discovery of female sexuality or something like that so now people are overcompensating by throwing in all these really awkward <laughs> masturbation scenes but i'm really like hard like not it just makes me cringe there are many ways to depict that and if you want to be more inclusive about how like young people discover self-pleasure we don't necessarily see need to see the young person actually do it in a really awkward pet like euphoria does it that's the other one that does it like, in this awkward, like, pan up their body and they're in bed and their hand slowly slides into the sheet. Like, that makes me cringe. Stop. <laughs> I don't want to see a teenager yeah. do it. I would rather see, like, you could depict it by having, say, two friends talk about it, which is, like, how I talk about it with my friends. Yeah. Like, oh, what did, like, you know, just have them talk about, have an explicit conversation in which they talk about their preferences. That is the same thing as depicting it. You just don't necessarily need to see it. There, that show that I talked about in our group chat generation that I said I was starting and at first I didn't really like because I felt like it was too similar to Euphoria. I actually think something that's interesting about that show, it's not a bad show, it's pretty, pretty good. But that show was mainly written by a girl who is Gen Z and then her two dads helped her produce it. That show does not have any explicit sexual scenes in it at all. So what's interesting to me is why do we have all of these adults who feel very comfortable writing sexual scenes between teenagers when when you put a teenager in power of a show, they don't even do that. And then there's a male teacher in the show that the main character develops like a, a infatuation with because he, um, the male teacher is gay. He's the guidance counselor. He hasn't really had like any male figures in his life that he's really looked up to because he's raised by his grandma. And so he has this crush on this teacher. He goes on Tinder and like talks to the teacher pretending to be an adult male and when he confronts the teacher is like oh we're soulmates that was me and the teacher's like this is inappropriate I'm not going to be a guidance counselor anymore I don't feel anything for you you need to get out of my room I thought that was very well done because I feel like so often when we see things written by adults they do not come with that same energy they come at it from a way that sounds like they're being like oh but they're in love and they're star-crossed and the only thing preventing them from being together is age uh, people really really need to think about why so many adults feel comfortable writing these explicitly sexual nudity underrated teenager dating adult scenes because it's weird I mean, I remember when I was a teenager and I've wanted to be like a screenwriter for a while, but I remember when I was a teenager writing scripts, I literally never wrote explicit sex scenes. I did not feel comfortable writing relationships between teenagers and adults. So why do so many people do that? This wasn't in this movie, but there was still like so many weird explicit things like, oh, I'm secretly having sex with the stepbrother. And I'm like, why is that there? <laughs> like... Why is he British? <laughs> Actually, the actor is British. They really like that, like, teens be wildin' thing. Like, they do adult things. They're just mini adults. Yeah, that's so true. Teens are not mini adults. Like, like I feel like I feel like it's, it's a weird gray area where it's, like, you can be, like, having sex and doing whatever and living your life, but you're also, like, very truly a kid. And it, mm. I've never seen a depiction of, like, teenagers, like, still doing kid shit. They do yeah. still do, like, in reality they do, but it's not fun to watch. I don't know. Stranger Things does, like, I know, I'm sorry. I really like Stranger Things. I feel like they're going to try to do a Mike and Eleven sex scene in that show, and that's going to be, that's going to be my 13th reason. <laughs> that's going to be my 13th I really 13th hope reason. that they don't. Thus far, I have appreciated Stranger Things because I think it's one of the only shows where, A, they actually had children play children. 
which I liked, Mm -hmm. and B, their first kiss scene was so cute, and it was actually, I think, Millie Bobby Brown's first kiss on set, like, first kiss ever, um, and I don't, I like that they didn't, like, super romanticize that and make it, or sexualize that, I should say, and make it weird. I think that's, like, one of the only, like, TV shows where I've seen it, or, or just, like, genre of film and TV broadly done properly where kids actually do kid shit like they play stupid imaginative games and yeah so i am with you if they make a sex scene with mike and 11 i am out like i cannot i can't watch that i mean even in this movie i feel like they really did go the route of like they're just mini adults because like them being in school had no context to anything other than like they just went with them being in school for the original craft we never really saw them doing schoolwork again there's no reason why they should be able to leave in the middle of class to go to the bathroom to go be friends on <laughs> I'm gonna be mad about that for a while because I hate when movies do stuff that just don't make sense and I'm like you've been to school as a teenager before you know you can't just get up and be like bye we're, we're leaving did their teacher just not care <laughs> but like I feel like so often in like teen horror like them being in high school has no real context like you could just so easily bump them up to college and then so much of the stuff that you're doing wouldn't be as taboo. And this is one of those movies because I'm like, they don't really go to school. that Like they're in school, but like it doesn't matter. I guess that cafeteria scene where everyone some reason is looking at them weird for no reason because they have no context of why they would be. Yeah, even the original had more reference to them being in school because like there was that swim scene, like the There like, was the bully. Gyms. yeah. There was a lot more of like, okay, I see why they're in high school. There was gossip too. Like part of the reason they curse him is because of the lies that he spreads. It was it was more like linked. It was more linked to teen culture. But I think in this one, like in such a, a way of like trying to make them hyper woke, she made them un-teenage like teenagers make mistakes like they're all not gonna go around being super conscious i watched them do stuff on i i have a tiktok and as a 25 year old watching stuff on tiktok i'm like they think they got it figured out and they do not (laughs) that was this isn't this didn't give what it was supposed to give hun and that's fine because they're a teenager like their frontal lobe is not fully developed mine just fully developed so Taya knows everything now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this movie is like trying to like make them think like adults in a way that doesn't make sense. Because like they go from doing something that's very erratic like a teenager to this next second being like, I'm I'm fully able to process that this is wrong. Like them being erratic and being like, Oh, he's a bully, let's let's make him see his higher self. Also assuming <laughs> that that is not his current higher self. <laughs> and, that he's, and that he's just a shitty person but like they go from doing stuff like that which I think is very like yeah some teenagers would do that especially since I guess she secretly thought he was hot what would their star signs be the guy would definitely be a Scorpio Scorpio <laughs> yeah I think Lily the main chick is a Pisces Cancer I, I'm gonna say Cancer as well I will accept cancer as well, yeah. The rest of them didn't have distinctive enough personalities for me to even identify. <laughs> they were blank sheets of paper. They had, like, a transgender witch, and I would have really liked to see more of her character, and then you get none of it. <laughs> this movie is, like, what? why when people say, like, let women make more films, I'm like, we need to be more explicit about who we want to make films. <laughs> Otherwise, you get this movie and lean away. But I feel like we also can't like pretend like a film's good just because it's one of the few films made by a woman. This is a terrible film. 
that's kind of what I said about the Black Christmas remake, right? Like, I don't like it because it gives it this feminist glean and makes it feel safe. And then it does so many things that are fucking worse than if yeah. I had just been prepared for a normal yeah. film. Like, <laughs> that wasn't marketed to me as, How'd like, feminist. How do you make it worser? I think they're doing it because they think this is what teens are like now and they're trying to make money. Yeah. We are also ignoring the capitalist element to this of, like, making it marketable. I also hope that they didn't market this movie as, like, this is a horror film that is, for the first time ever, including trans witches. I hope they didn't market it way because they gave absolutely no shine to the character. The trans character is simply present. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think this is the point that we've talked about many a time before with, like, representation is not Mm -hmm. the end like that's not the be all and end all like simply having them there is not the be all and end all i will say i'll give like one <laughs> one good thing is that i like that they use a trans actress to play the role um otherwise yeah. i would have screamed um and i also like <laughs> yeah. that they didn't pull a netflix and use a light-skinned mixed girl to fill the only black role that was yeah. like okay well that's good but that's literally it. <laughs> yeah. Louisa is like Netflix is you're like the usual t- person that they would put in and be like, this is the black friend for Netflix. It would be like Louisa. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I love you, but it's true. Capitalize on that girl. Go to the audition. <laughs> as much as I have dragged Sam Levinson for Malcolm and Marie, I think this movie tried to do what Assassination Nation did. Um, and it did a bad job because I think that movie definitely was explicitly trying to be woke assassination nation. Mm-hmm. He does have a trans character in the movie. He has a black character. I mean, it's almost the exact same dynamic, but instead of it being like witches in that movie, it's like, I mean, it's also supposed to like, be like a modern day Salem. The town is called Salem, I believe, but instead of them being witches, yeah. it's like the town witch hunts them based on them thinking one of the girls is like this temptress whole character and so all the men feel like they're entitled to kill her it's a better movie (laughs) and it makes me angry when I feel like women go into these projects thinking they're making these iconic feminist films and they fail and there's a man who makes a better feminist film because I'm like what are you doing that you're letting someone (laughs) you're letting the very person you're critiquing outdo you at doing the type of film you're trying to make honestly you know what it is it's because you have to be a like certain amount of palatable to even get in the rooms to get a movie as a woman mm-hmm. right the women who make it to that point where they have the budget to make a movie are the types who like do not offend right they're the people who are like going to like mm-hmm. do the politically correct thing who are like getting like from these production houses i feel like if we're talking about like you know folks who are who are who are committed to like radical filmmaking it's different but this is a movie that was intended to is it to Bloomhouse market. It was intended to sell. Yeah, it's Bloomhouse. Yeah, you're right. They're they're part of the problem. They did Black Christmas remake, didn't they? Yeah. Yes, they did. Oh God, they need to get stop it, stop it. But Bloom Bloomhouse has the money. Bloomhouse like makes it fucking everything. I personally would not have made this movie if this was if I showed up and this is what they told me my script was gonna be after maybe she wrote a different one and someone edited it. I did see that there was a man who also was listed as a scriptwriter, but he's uncredited because they marketed she wrote it. Maybe she wrote a different one and he edited it and it was a lot of contention. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving her too much credit. But I think um, sometimes it's better to walk away from something and have 
some backlash or consequences to it than to make something like this because this is just offensive and shitty and I think Gen Z deserve a better version of the craft if they're gonna remake it it didn't need to be remade I don't think the movie is that dated there are some problematic elements that we talked about but it's not really a dated movie like it's the 90s the craft like (laughs) it's not like it came out in like the 40s like they can definitely just watch the craft But if you're going to remake something and try to correct it, don't make it worse. And this movie obviously (laughs) makes it worse. I don't think you can look at this script and think, oh my God, we we kept sexual assault in there. We kept making her character all about race. We added a trans character that we gave absolutely no shine to. We kept a problematic white woman as like the savior of it all. Like, and think that you're really doing something. You did the same thing, but worse. At least in at least in that movie they behaved like teenagers and I think that was something that we like applauded them for when we mm-hmm. talked about it. They act like teenagers even though they didn't look like teenagers. They acted like teenagers. <laughs> in this movie they look like teenagers but no one's acting like a teenager and it's just weird. The movie is question marks and a shit emoji. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monofem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts to be our next Witch of the Week. We also have a TikTok, so follow us at The Monstrous Feminine for our podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out. See you next episode for season two. Must be the season of the-